You, you can holler, you can applaud, you can scream, you can do anything you want. I can't hear you anyway. <laughs> Okay, welcome to the Salt Lake Dirt Podcast. I'm your host, Kyler Bingham. I'm very excited for our guest today on the show. We have C.E. Hoffman, uh, whose latest book of short stories, Sluts and Whores, um, came out this year. Um, Totally fell in love with this book, uh, fell in love with their writing. Um, Very incredible. So I'm going to put links to where uh, you can purchase the book. Um, They also have a really cool Kickstarter program um, campaign that um that ce will talk about in the interview so i'm, I'm gonna let um them kind of take it away on that but yeah incredible writing you know it's just amazing you know once you think you've you've kind of been made aware of all the all the stuff out there i mean you're you're never you're not even scratching the surface so i was really um grateful that i came across um ce's work so sluts and whores great title Great writing. Uh, check it out. And let's go ahead and talk to C.E. Hoffman on the Salt Lake Dirt Podcast. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I'm with C.E. Hoffman here on the Salt Lake Dirt Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, C. Of course. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we're here to talk about your... Um, your your latest collection of short stories called sluts and whores very um it, you know it grabbed my attention immediately and uh i just want to talk you know i want to really turn it over to you mostly and just uh talk about the genesis of the collection you've been writing a while now and um you you know you cover a, a lot of pretty pretty heavy stuff and like just very powerful writing uh i would just like to hear the genesis of of your story for putting this together. Oh, that's great. Thank you. I think what I'd like to focus on there is the medium of full length publication, because I think for so many of us, that is the zenith and an evasive one at times, especially with how the publishing industry has changed and continues to change. Like, I feel like it's constantly moving under our feet. And for people like me, you know, who are really traditionalists, it's hard to grab on to that full length manuscript and get it out there. So I was very blessed in that I was depressed and <laughs> looking back at my portfolio and really recognizing, you know, the multitude of stories I'd accrued and then recognizing that theme, a theme which by the point of looking back at my stuff, I realized was an own voices theme regarding sex work and sexuality. And as we all know, it's great to actually work from something cohesive like that, a voice that's your own, a voice that's real. And it all unfolded beautifully at that, which I think again shows that you can try to plan these things, but Muse does what it wants and you best follow her. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like I said, I was like, um, I don't think I've any, I've read anything quite like this before. And it was just a, a completely a lot of it a world I have no um, real understanding of. And it was just, I love reading something that is, and I think we all do love reading something, uh, even though, even if it's fictionalized, but you know, everything comes from, from our realities on some level uh, just, you know, delving into different worlds and kind of like putting yourself in that world um, when you know, not very, 
little or nothing about it. I mean, it humanizes everyone in the situation. And I, I can only imagine, especially in sex work, um, oftentimes people could, you know, dehumanize the people involved in this. And I'm sure that's a, a constant struggle. So it was just a, a beautiful piece of um, intelligent writing. Like uh, I could go on, on and on. I'm, I'm, I feel kind of like I'm kind of like stuttering over my words because I really did. I really did like this. Um, and it was just like, it was just so new to me. Um, it, you know, it kind of blew my mind. Uh, so yeah, praise to you again and again, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll stop there. But um, I, I did want to ask, uh, you know, as much as you're willing to share about your, you know, about your background. Um, I, I always like to talk to writers about, you know, uh, where they grew up and just kind of like maybe when they first kind of got the bug to start writing. I mean, we're all, you know, writers or readers and um, I'm curious about the kind of things you read when you were young and yeah, just kind of like your, 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 um, your story of how you got to um, published writer. Oh, I love that because of course this collection is, I think, unique in that, I mean, it's unique for me. I don't think this is unique for writers. I think this is a total commonality for all of us that it's a fusion of my inner world, that imaginary fantasy, which for all of us goes back to childhood. And then this very real adult element, you know, of my individuation process. And I think that's the really, that's the true glory of writing is we're able to fuse our adult selves and our childhood selves in ways where we can reconcile shadow in all respects. And as much as I want to address your question and give it the space it deserves, it's difficult for me to honestly talk about my childhood because I do have an undiagnosed mood disorder. This is getting very intimate, very fast, but I'm, that's the most honest place I can start when <laughs> digressing on my childhood because so many of my memories are elevated by emotionality and I have lots of gaps in my memory and I think also some distortions there. And it's difficult to fully trust that my sphere of subjectivity was anything remotely similar to what the people outside of me were experiencing. Yeah, I was very in my head, very in my mind, you know, the backyard. I'm actually back at my parents' place, my childhood home, which is stunning and, you know, terrifying all at once. And that backyard brought me so much pleasure and peace. I think that's the wonder and joy of the imagination. Of course, C.S. Lewis was one of my first forays into fantasy growing up in a Christian home. And he has that one beautiful intimation where he says that, you know, if you truly feel out of place in the world, the only solution is you were made for another world. That's poorly paraphrased, but I think I'm remaining true to the heart of his sentiment. And I very much felt that. And my backyard, I think, was kind of my first portal into that other world that has now grown up with me. You know, this world is now full of punk references and all these amazing writers that helped shape my voice and continue to help shape it. But it did start there. I think it starts for anyone with creative proclivities. It just starts within, in that silent space in your mind where you can actually be who you wish you were. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's a great answer. I mean, that's, um, that's so interesting. I, re- I read a lot of C- C.S. Lewis when I was 
like a, a you know younger t- teenager um and it is like you know he's a he's a beautiful writer um and i think he he does really um capture um you know even even putting christianity aside like he just he he's a he's an intellectual that i think a lot of us when we're young we're, we're grasping for you know meaning in something and um and at the time he delivers it um you know not to mention his fiction is is incredible so uh that's very cool um let's see i i did want to talk you you mentioned something about uh is it a kickstarter program that you're um that you're you're doing right now Yes, I'm so excited about this. We were so blessed to reach our goal in the second week. It's to turn, yeah, one of the short stories from Sluts and Whores into an animated short film illustrated by Winston Roundtree, my favorite comic artist ever. I'm so excited that he was even interested in the project. We have super talented voice actors, Danton Lamar, Rashani Lamino. I myself am going to be attempting a vocal role in it. We'll see how that goes. And we're also uh, blessed to receive the musical talents of Borscht, this wonderful indie band here in Edmonton. They're wonderful. They released a new EP and their song, All My Friends, is going to be the credit song. So I feel so grateful and and definitely feel uh, intimidated, you know, by the talent that's surrounding me and holding me in this project. And and again, since we reached our goal already, so everyone's going to get their proper fair pay that we've all discussed uh, after a $200 cushion. I'm now hoping with these 14 some days left to continue to raise funds and to send all excess donations to sex worker organizations. I've also been lucky enough to work with in London and recently more in Edmonton. I, I'm not yet revealing the names of the uh, organizations I'm thinking of because none of them have gotten back to me. So I just want to be careful with that. But hopefully if they're down and if there's enough money to go around, donations have slowed a bit, understandably, as we've met the goal. Uh, so it may just come down to me giving it out to one organization, lest it spread too thin. But again, anybody listening, if you have an extra dollar, an extra $5, every amount means so much. And you do get swag for as little as a dollar. So nice. you will be rewarded literally <laughs> as well as spiritually. Oh, that's so great that I met the goal. I mean, sometimes the Kickstarters can be a nerve wracking experience. Um, uh, a lot of emotionals uh, up and down ups and downs um but that's so cool you you got it so that's a good problem that you have excess funds to donate um <laughs> to, to great organizations so uh that's incredible I'll, I'll put this up pretty soon um within the next 24 hours or so and i'll put a link to this and that way hopefully uh people who listen to the podcast can at least be aware of it and hopefully uh, contribute and get some good swag oh thank you that means so much again i think that Creativity is one of the best platforms to make a positive difference. You know, you're not necessarily going to be preaching to people or judging people. You're in this safe space of exploration and play. And that's, of course, what I try to do with the book as well. You know, I try to pose a comfortable challenge to people as discomforting as the title might be for some, you know, but, sure. but I, again, like if, if we're again, referencing C.S. Lewis, who was my, you know, my first fantastical love, I, I think that's what he always encouraged people. And like you said, was just to play and explore meaning 
you know, when we look into the religious instinct, I totally agree with Young. I mean, who wouldn't? But <laughs> I agree that that's really what is being supplied in those instances is it satisfies our need for meaning. And I think that can be reached via secular means also. You know, meaning is what matters. I really don't care where you derive your meaning from as long as it imbues you with a sense of purpose and a consideration that extends beyond yourself. Again, beyond that subjective experience, which may or may not even be fully accurate. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Uh, we so I, I cover a lot of film festivals and just what just kind of what you said about um, you know works of art being being that uh, how how um, important they can be for uh, change. It's just such a beautiful thing. Like when I go to send Sundance every year because I, I I live in Utah, and it's so incredible because you have filmmakers from all over the world um, meeting for you know a shared love of film, and it's kind of like the the borders disappear. You know we're we're not talking about um, unless it's a part of a film, we're not talking about politics. So it's all film-based and we're just so curious about each other and we want to understand each other. So it's such a beautiful uh, thing when you see people from all over the world coming together. I mean, that just seems to me like that's the answer. No borders and everyone's making a movie. I mean, it just is such a, it's, I learned so much and I meet people and it just opens my eyes to different, you know, different worlds all over the country. I talked to several uh, Israeli filmmakers uh, this past season. It was online, unfortunately, but still we got to, you know, talk a lot about, about a lot of stuff. And it, it is so, so cool that we could be part of each other's world. So uh, yeah, that's what, and again, going back to your book again, that's just what I loved about it. Um, just being curious about, an, uh, you know, others' experiences in a different world that I don't know much, if anything, about. Uh, I did want to ask you just, I love talking about the writing process. I know sometimes it can be like uh, annoying for people to ask what your process is because, you know, I, I write too, but it, you know, a schedule maybe isn't like, you don't do the same thing every day. You can't like, you can't knock out creative work, like from like nine to five. Uh, but I am curious. I think we all kind of have our techniques and our approaches and um, our inspirations. I'm just, I'm just curious what a, uh, as you worked on this project, uh, Sluts and Whores, what was your, um, you know, your writing process? I mean, the the, the, ver the short stories vary some, um, you know, dramatically from each other's the form of it. So um, you've mastered the form of different types of storytelling. I'm just, I just would love to hear uh, your actual writing process, if you don't mind sharing with us. Well, that's really generous feedback, I think. I feel that I continue to struggle with plot. And I think any of us will admit that we do until the day we put down our pens. Because again, it's it's not just the industry, it's the art that's constantly moving under our feet, which is why I think it's a wonderful lifelong love affair. With this book, again, I was very blessed in that most of the stories were complete. And it was more a question of curating them appropriately and respecting the flow of the actual collection and omitting some, choosing to keep others. And a lot of that was in discussion with the editor. But again, like you say, there's, it's impossible to strictly adhere to any given schedule. When I have a project such as this, I can tend towards a certain uh, 
hyper focus and and dare I even uh, suggest mania where anything that I am in control of is going to get done. And writer's block is a rarity for me. That being said, I am experiencing a stall in Sluts and Horse spiritual sequel, Losers and Freaks. It is all collected and spick and span, save for the final short story, which in length is almost leaning towards being a small novella. And I am really struggling to put that one together. It's Again, it's not even so much plot as it is transmuting plot to prose. I don't, I don't know yeah. about you, right? But if you're in an adventure oh, I, I story, that, yeah, sure. right? Yeah. Yeah, like that is the the struggle for me right now. Because if you're working just from a character-driven piece, I think voice is so much closer to the surface mm -hmm. and your characters will create plot if you just let them go and let them feel and let them think and let them look for whatever they're looking for. But of course, with adventure stories, your characters, no matter how proactive they are, are still placed in reactive positions. Mm -hmm. And I'm struggling with that. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's how it goes. I mean, I always, uh, I have three dogs, so I have plenty of dogs to walk and I find <laughs> that's like the best thing I could do. And it, it, you know, it helps, but at least like maybe calms my nerves. So I'm not like almost messing up the creative process by beating myself up. That's how I, that's how I am. So, uh, a good long walk with my, you know, Chihuahua Pomeranian mix seems to Aww. help better than anything. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's exactly it. And I think you, you articulated that so beautifully that a lot of the problem with writer's block is we're too much in our head and not enough in our intuition, in our body. And I think that's so interesting because everyone thinks, oh, literature, it's so cerebral mm -hmm. and you must be so smart and so high scoring and verbal acuity, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, perhaps, but I do think that the best writing is a perfect blend of that which is visceral and that which is contained mm -hmm. in the literary form. But you need those animal guts and you need to get into your body and out of your head. You know, I always quote Query Shark. I don't even know the name of the agent who runs it, but I'm sure mm -hmm. you're familiar with it. And one of her main rules that she cites is you can break the rules on purpose but never by accident. And I think that's the process, right? Is you need to that. start, right? You need to start with that rudimentary stuff where you get into it and you obey form and format and you discipline yourself in that. But then once you've gotten to a certain phase of that, then break all the rules, smash all the windows, just go crazy and wild with it, you know? Yeah. And, and again, yeah, that it's a difficult balance to maintain and I think lots of writers do get stuck in our heads. So the best way to do that is to do something physical that gets you back in flow. That being said, though, I think there are writers that are too much in their instinct. I think those are the pantsers mm -hmm. of the writing community who don't necessarily complete projects. So a lot of that's about self-awareness, recognizing where you are on that spectrum and what you need to hone, you know, what aspect of shadow you need to bring to light. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's, um, I, I know you're, you're going to, you're going to come up with a great, you know, you're, you're going to finish it and it's going to be great. I have, I have full confidence in you. So, um, it, it, it's, and when it hits, it hits and you're like, ah, oh, yes. Like, how did I not, how did I not see that? Or, um, there it is. So there's the answer. Uh, so I'm, 
I totally know you're going to finish it. So I have, I have complete faith in you. <laughs> oh, thanks. No, you're right. It's about patience, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, like it's so easy to say, show up for Muse and follow Muse wherever mm-hmm. she leads, but it's another thing to actually live that. And I, I rail against that all the time. I'm a, I'm an infamous control freak. Mm-hmm. I want to get it done. I want to get it done the way yeah. I want to get it done. And I think writing continually humbles me. This story I think is a great reminder. It's called Love on Mars. And it's, I think just this great reminder that if you want to do it right, sometimes you do have to take your time. Yeah. No, it's so true. One of my, one of my favorite writers, I, I love, I love his work so much. And if you haven't had a chance to check him out, I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on him. Uh, but Bruce Wagner um, you know, he's, he's published, I believe about a dozen books and he's, wow. I think he's in his early sixties, but like his work is incredible. It's like, it, he's my, you know, top three writers, um, dead or living and he, he's living. So it's incredible. But he said, don't let the con like, I, I wrote him this long rambling email. I think about like, you know, self-doubt, self-loathing and like, you know, oh, I'm this old and I should have had this done, but, you know, and, you know, just constant, pretty much whining, but he, he was, he was, he was, he was kind to me. And he just said something it was very short. He's like, don't let the concept of, of time poison your mind. <laughs> oh. And it was beautiful. And I, I printed that out and I hung it up in my office um, at work. And it was just like exactly what I needed to hear. It's like, don't let the con, cause that's what, you know, it's a, it's a concept and it's a construct that we've, that we have to, you know, live within. And he's like, don't let it poison you. So it's kind of like took a nice, like deep breath. And I'm like, yes, I can. Like sometimes patience is a good thing. It's hard, (laughs) (laughs) but, but um, I think we, as writers, you know, at times, at times we definitely need to, um, you know, accept that. So, um, Oh, I just, I'm sorry. I just love that because of course so much that I'm like knocking over my mic. I just love that so much because of course you could argue that consciousness of, you know, temporal reality, quote unquote, is an extension of ego consciousness Mm. because it's that self-consciousness of recognizing it's not just the moment. If I do something, it's going to have a consequence. It's going to have ripples into a space of existence to which I am not yet privy. Mm. Right. And that's the creation of time as well as I think we like largely created time through our structuring of the past, which became our narrative of the self. And unfortunately, I think a lot of that for our ancestors was probably trauma based. Mm -hmm. You know, you had to remember, oh, shit, you know, Bob ate berries from that bush and Bob's not around anymore. So I better not eat those berries. Uh, So again, very useful, very, very useful, not to mention just useful when, you know, we want to practice continuity in our plot lines, but yeah, this person sounds like a brilliant writer and he's so right that it's temporal reality is bullshit and writing exists outside of time because these moments that we had are now fused onto paper and can time travel, you know, they travel spatially and temporally, you know, and they reach people that we wouldn't have necessarily reached on our own. And that's something I'm loving about this, you know, talking with you and then you recommend another writer that I haven't heard of yet. And I get to add that to my reading list. And even as, as much as I am quick to disparage social media's ubiquitousness, I do love the writing community on Twitter. I mean, that's how you and I connected and I've connected with just some 
Magnificent people, you know, those people who do share your voice in some way, you know, like Jeffrey Matica, who's um, in San Francisco, I believe he does like really cool kind of punk prose and then Neil S. Reddy, you know, who's out in the UK, who I actually wrote. Um, he asked me, it was a real honor. He asked me to write the foreword in one of his upcoming books, you know, so we've oh, really great. connected creatively. And then, you know, even Jack Wang and Gabriella Houston, you know, who are really real writing professionals, yeah. I would say, you know, and connecting with all these people. And it's, I mean, the internet is a tool for that too, obviously, but I think it's the art that's driving that connectivity, that's reaching across time and space to connect us to people, like even the film festival you were describing. Oh yeah. So it's, I mean, um, it's so true. It's like, it's like a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of negatives to the, to the social media and the internet, but it is like, there's so many cool things. I was, I was talking to a, a fairly notable writer a while back and we, we actually connected over Twitter and um, we were having a meal together and he said, he's like, I'm going to get off all this stuff. And, you know, I can't do it. He's on Twitter and Instagram, but then he's like, but then I meet nice people and it's like, Aww. it drags me back in. And he's very gracious to people who, um, you, you know, his readers and different people. And he's, you know, he's been around a few decades. So a uh, very kind individual, but he's like, he gets sucked by back in by kindness, which is not the worst thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is like, I've met so many cool people and like, like, you know, like your book coming to me, um, it was like exactly I don't know if I believe in like, I don't think I do believe in like things for a reason, but it was like, it just kind of plopped in my lap at the right time. And it was like the book I needed to read in that moment. Um, and the timing was just interesting. So you meet all these cool people from all over the world. I mean, you're, you're from, you're from Canada. Uh, it sounds like, um, I don't think I know anyone from, Oh, I know one other person from Canada. So you're my second Canadian. I think I even know. Um, <laughs> so you just, the writing community is like, I was surprised at how supportive online, at least like in certain, certain, um, little pockets of it, but Twitter, I mean, Twitter is known for being so counterproductive and, and negative, but I mean, in the writing community, like everyone, this seems like, or so many, the majority of people have each other's backs and are all about like helping each other, which is such a cool thing. Um, I think in such a, you know, a challenging thing as writing it is it's so like you're driven to do it you have to do it if you're if you're a true writer but it can be so hard and it should be so hard i guess i mean we're growing as we as we as we write more but everyone is so gracious with each other and um happy to talk and you know like you said you got to you get to write a forward in someone's book you probably didn't expect that to happen i think like there's some so many cool things that come um, from us having access to people all over the world. So yeah, I'm not, that's, I guess it's, there's no question there. Just me kind of rambling. No, but... I, I love it though. Cause that's what surprised me too about Twitter is the concrete industry connections. Yeah. You know, when it's not just a, a like, you know, mm. or a post, it's, you're actually creating that community. And again, you know, going even back to that, that little kid in the backyard, you know, with all of these imaginary friends, welcome or otherwise, it's, <laughs> it's really amazing to, to maybe think, oh, wow, maybe my friends aren't in another universe. Maybe they're just in another time zone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. No, it, it is so, um, 
It's so true. I mean, I started the podcast. I've been doing the website for a few years, but I started the podcast during the pandemic because I needed, you know, I needed, I needed to see people that, you know, had similar interests and, you know, love to write and love to read. And that was like, I started building a community based off, based off of that. And it was such a, such a beautiful thing. And like one person leads to another, like, you know, you said you, um, you know, dunking Birmingham, Birmingham, um, was kind of the gateway that you came to me. So you just meet so many incredible people. And, um, I think we're, we're all like just eager to help each other. And, um, yeah, it's like, there's, we can all be successful. You know, there's, there's no limit to the amount of, the amount of good books that could be out there because they're all so unique and so, so different. And so us, Exactly. Yeah. It was Mallory Smart, Mm -hmm. the wonderful editor of Maudlin House Magazine, who retweeted your podcast episode with Duncan. And yeah. And of course, she has a book that I think just came out, which I'm super excited to read. Uh, Let me just make sure I get the title right here. Hang on. Exactly. Like you said, there's plenty of room for all of this. The only living girl in Chicago. That's what it is. It just sounds so good. Sounds I'm yeah. so excited I, to read it. I'll, I'll put a link to that as well. Cause I, I love getting yeah. um, book Same. recommendations. So it's like, yeah, yeah I think, yeah. So it sounds like, um, that is a great title. <laughs> but yeah. I, I wonder though, you know, cause with the advent of the internet, you know, it's like we have, this opportunity for hyperconnectivity that didn't previously exist unless you're you know looking at the collective unconscious right which is which could just be you know interpreted as metaphorical and it still leaves i think a big problem unsolved which we i think we're all really met with during the pandemic even myself as an introvert which is how do we still satisfy that need for physical closeness? You know, I've always wanted to find a literal literary hub, you know, a, a bar or a bookstore, some kind of space, even if it was me cultivating that own space where people literally come in and you're in their auric fields, you know, and you can hear their vibrations in the air as they come up with these ideas and they have so much more of a physical impact on you just because you're in that same space, sharing that same room. So how do we integrate that need into this amazing, magical new space of online community? Yeah, no, it's, it's so true. I mean, that there's like, um, there's nothing better than, you know, like if we, if we were sitting at a coffee shop right now, having this discussion, there's just so, so many more, um, it's so much richer in in a way, you know, uh, Zoom is better than nothing, of course, and it's it's great. But um, it is so amazing to sit with someone and and talk about these things and um, experience the same environment. Um, it's definitely you know a need, and I think yeah, like during the pandemic. I mean, um, I am curious. Yeah, let me if you don't mind talking maybe about your experience um, when this all kind of kicked into gear. I, I've talked to a lot of. Uh, writers of prose especially um i think was it was kind of split on how at least the ones i talked to how they uh, dealt with it so some were like well this is kind of my life anyways i just sit <laughs> sit in my, my room and write <laughs> don't talk to anyone um so not much changed um and they're like i was actually able to knock out a ton of work uh and it, it was actually put their 
creative juices into hypergear. And then I talked to other people and they just hit kind of a brick wall. Um, I think that the weight of the world was, was uh, just crushing down on them. Like it was so many of us. And so they were almost frozen for several months or a year and maybe kind of coming out of that. Now uh, I'm, I'm curious about your, your experience as a creative person, as a writer, um, how was that experience for you um, in, in Canada up there? I mean, I don't mean to be too binary, but I have to wonder if that division you're noting is separating the introverts from the extroverts or the introverts are like, yay, I don't have to give excuses about having to feed my cat. I can just stay home. And the extroverts are like, I need that connection, right. To get that inspiration, to get my juices flowing, to get charged up. I really wonder. That makes a lot of sense. I haven't thought about that. Like that, no, that like, that makes so much sense. I would I love was, to survey them. <laughs> we should put a survey. I love that. Yes. We when I was uh um you know, you know, I'm back, I'm working face to face now. Um, but socially it's like I feel like I'm start starting fresh and I'm like, I kind of just want to hang out with my dogs tonight, you know? <laughs> and so I'm like, how am I gonna go back? I was like, at first I was like, oh, this is horrible, you know, just from a selfish point of view of not being able to do things, you know, um, on a lighter, lighter level, you know, but like now it's like getting back into being social, but then it's also like things are going back and forth. So who the hell knows what's going on exactly, which is stressful. Um, But yeah, I think, I think you're onto something there with introverts and extroverts, you know, cause I'm, de- I'm definitely an introvert. Like I need my recuperation time. I love being around people. I love hanging out with people, but I have to be physically alone for, you know, a period of time of, to recharge. I, I yeah, can't, you know, so yeah. I it sounds like you're the same. <laughs> I'm the same. I'm a social introvert, which is yes. hard for us because, you know, we kind of pass as extroverts and then we yes. confuse our extrovert friends yeah. when we need to go home early. Like, do you hate me? Do you like me? What's going exactly. on? Are you mad at me? <laughs> exactly. But I think it's interesting too, again, when it comes to integrating, you know, aspects of the self, I feel like in a way the pandemic gave opportunity to introverts to become a little extroverted because we, I mean, I even hit the point where I'm like, I just want to go out. I just want to hang out with people. I actually hit that point in myself, which was a lonely space. You know, I have a lot of sympathy for extroverts now, but it was also a very valuable space because it reminded me that I do need people and I'm not isolated. I'm not alone. I'm woven together into this, you know, fabric of love, which is the human existence, not just love. There's other complicated threads in there too, which we can't deny, you know, and then yeah. And then with extroverts, I think it gave them the opportunity to become a bit introverted and to be alone and to shy away from crowds a bit, even just for personal safety. And that that is a golden opportunity for all of us. And yeah, I will admit, I'm definitely in that former camp you described where I was very prolific and productive. And of course, the the real crux that I hit was finances, in in the pandemic, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, not just, you know, people who were looking into sex work at the time, you know, it was just a, a real, yeah, I didn't hit a wall creatively, but I hit a wall financially. And I'm still, in some respects, bashing my head up against that wall, you know, I'm still very, very young. So on the one hand, I think I should still be humble enough to slum it in a day job. But at the same time, it's become clear to me, again, we come back to that idea of meaning, how important it is for me to be in a role, day job or otherwise, that benefits my life 
and the lives of others, and that is working towards a point other than a mere paycheck, as critical as that is. And obviously, I have a lot of yeah. privilege and choice there, you know, yeah, that I am true. staying with my parents right now, and I can choose not to do that. I mean, I think the class system itself is predicated largely on the privilege of choice, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I recognize and, and own that. But I think it is still a question for all of us, you know, how you actually want to spend your time. And again, that idea of environment, I think you're so right. I think you touched on such an important point about being face-to-face because there's a shared physical environment. So there's no incongruence with our physical selves. I mean, for us right now, I think it benefits us that we're not in the same country, but at least we're in the same time zone, you know, so we're both, I don't know about you, but at this point, you know, 8 p.m., I'm kind of like, oh, I'm becoming steadily useless as, <laughs> yeah. as the day goes on, you know, and, and you seem quite chill mm-hmm. in this yeah. period of time also. So we're aligned there. But of course, again, misalignment there can occur just based on variations in temperament. So I guess there's really no way to ensure that you're going to be on the same page as a person. But there is that hope that, you know, the more variables you control, the better chance you'll have of reaching and understanding each other. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's great. Um, well, hopefully we all kind of, and I think we will, I think the people who, who, who are, you know, trying to be better people before the pandemic are going to be become better people out of this whole process, you know, and then it seems like it's, you know, some people are maybe they're, they were, always kind of awful. And now we're seeing more of that now, but yeah. I think I, you know, just like with anything you see the, in an extreme situation, circumstances, you see like the beauty in people and the awfulness in other people or the beauty and awfulness in all of us, you know? So it's mm-hmm. in the extremes. It's been, it's been an interesting um, process. I'm a high school history teacher. Uh, we're back in person and um, it is, I am just so grateful i'm not a teenager going through this Mm -hmm. this time period i mean so i just feel so um you know i'm impressed at the resilience of of, you know this most of the students that i have but you know it was they are they're struggling you know and it's just like it's just a tough tough process so i mean they're they're there's a lot of longing there and they feel I noticed more social social awkwardness than I've ever seen before mm-hmm. in a teenager and adults for that matter. But um, mm-hmm. I'm just, uh, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but it's just, I, I think, I think in the end, this, like the, the pain of all this will hopefully mm-hmm. um, like deliver us to like a higher consciousness collectively. Oh. Um, that's my hope at least. I mean, that's the only hope we can ask for from collective tragedy. And even if it doesn't quite do that, at least it often leads to some amazing art, some amazing counterculture movements, you know, when we're all trying to externalize this collective angst and work through it, you know, and I just love what you were talking about, because I feel like you were really expressing bearing witness to the human experience and its vulnerability. I just finished The Waves by Virginia Woolf. Okay. And and I think that she, if you haven't read it, I, I think you would it, love yeah. it. I think you would love it, I'll, I'll get it Tyler. Yeah. I, yeah, I really think you would, because especially because you're a teacher, you know, so you are holding space for and in witness to 
you know, this dramatic production that is youth. And it's always, again, so comforting when we look back into more classic literature and we see that it is a universal and it's a universal that lasts throughout time. And I love that. It's almost like those experiences that no matter where or when you are remain somewhat true. I think those are what become archetypes. You know, they become these defining features for humanity and they become powerful. And I think that's why the coming of age novel is always going to be so powerful. And I'm so excited to see what new emerging voices, you know, now that especially the writing industry is trying to be more fair and equal in its representation. I'm so excited to see what kind of stories are going to come out there on that platform. And it has been a struggle but I think some of the best things arrive from struggle when we both surrender to and embrace mm -hmm. said agonies. You know, I was even kind of meditating on this today. You know, there, there has been a certain karmic weight I felt in this life. I'm not going to lie. And because I try to think positive and I'm very into positive affirmations and the like, sometimes I do try to spiritually bypass that feeling where it's like, there have been incidents in my life where it's like, that would only happen in my life or in a stupid movie, <laughs> you know, a ridiculous movie, pardon my ableistic language there, you know, but just like, just ridiculous, like painful serendipity, not positive serendipity, <laughs> but Acknowledging that the wheel of fortune, you know, as it's been referred to for a long time is ultimately neutral. You know, it's like that amazing Taoist myth, you know, where uh, he has, a, the man has a son. And I mean, this is like halfway through the tale already. There's tons of different things that have befallen him. And, and the son is trying to tame this wild horse that they found and he falls off of it, right? You know, this yeah, one and breaks one, his yeah. legs, right? And everyone's like, oh, so terrible, so terrible. And he's like, hey, We'll see. Maybe yeah. it's good. Maybe it's bad. And, and that's the thing is that all stimulus is just stimulus. It's novel. It's neutral. It's how we decide to respond to it. And again, I think we often take almost too many signals from our body, our, our bodies, which are too much in survival mode, especially because we're so overstimulated right now with all of these technologies and with all of these substances that are available to us, you know, the stimulating ones, caffeine and the like, you know, so our body usually is just going, ah, tiger, you know, at everything. And, yeah. Right. And it's important that we create that space between the stimulus and our reaction to it. Yeah. I, I love that. Like, uh, so this is, it took me you know, I just, I turned 40 in March and I, I mean, I don't know what 40 is supposed to feel like, but I don't, you know, there you go. Time poisoning, <laughs> you know, <laughs> thing again. But, um, I took me this long to figure this, this thing out that was just worded. Sometimes, you know, words are so powerful because something so simple can just unlock so much, um, for you in the right moment. So there are these, uh, these British dog trainers that I love and I love, I love their approach to training because it's just it's um it makes so much sense and it's it's not i've never seen anything quite like it um in america it's just so different from how how things are done here so i've i've bought some of their courses um and they refer to like the dog i just was talking about my pomeranian chihuahua he has a lot of he, he was abused came from a shelter a lot mm. of like 
anxiety issues and um, pacing. I, I, I have a, it's called a thunder jacket that's kind of like swaddles him. So in the evenings, Aww. it kind of like makes him calm and he, it, it really helps him. Um, but they said a dog and he gets more anxious in the evening. Like he doesn't tend to like relax. He, he seems more keyed up and like, like scared. Um, and so they said, you view it like, and I think this is what I'm talking about. You could view it with humans. Um, we all have an empty bucket that we, that we carry around with us and, um, stress fills up that bucket and mm. it could, we can have good stress. So something exciting is happening that still fills up our bucket. We could, um, you know, meet a writer friend or, or even like, you know, like talking to someone that you've never met before. It's, it's, it's good stress. There's some anxiety that's thrown in there, at least for me. And so your bucket fills up. Um, and I was always just thinking of it in negative terms, like something bad, something is like creating anxiety within me, um, the stress, but, um, they're really adamant about like, it's almost like kind of what you were just saying here. It's like, it doesn't, it's all kind of just stuff that fills the bucket up. But so we have to like, and like with us introverts, we have to do something to decompress, um, so like, I guess with humans, we need to be a part of for introverts and with dogs, they have, they had me walk him in a figure eight circle, the oh. weirdest thing. And it calms him down. I was like, I was so skeptical, do it for five minutes. And he just plops down and lays down. It's the intro. It's so interesting. So talk about, um, the physicality and how important that is for, you know, all living creatures. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. It is no. so fascinating. No, I love this. I love this so much because for me, it reminds me, again, all of this good behind discomfort. And that's what I try to do. Instead of ascribing positive or negative language to something, I'll just say something is pleasant or unpleasant for me. Because an unpleasant thing, like lots of people don't like wheatgrass juice, you know, but for most of us, that's really good for us, you know, so just if it's unpleasant. But, you know, again, like consciousness in a way creates pain you know, outside of the moment of pain, which is what really creates it. It's that continual feedback of I'm anxious, I'm angry. It's that awareness that really kicks it into gear and creates an addictive loop, which I think really is the agony of human existence. But the great thing about that is in that space of consciousness, in our awareness of our own anxieties and our own pains, if you're doing the right thing with your pain, it makes you want to do that. It makes you want to walk your anxious dog in figure eights yeah. because you don't want that energy to spread any farther than it has to. And I think that's the real importance there too, is recognizing that some of this is a part of life and it's critical for all of our development as a species and as individuals. And hell yeah, embrace that. Drive right into that shadow, fuck yeah. Yeah. But but don't get lost in that shadow and bring your light into that shadow and make sure that you take breaks. And I think humans just have such a weird relationship with trauma. On the one hand, it's the worst thing ever and we never want to see it again. But on the other hand, we're obsessed. You know, we will slow down to look at an accident. Mm-hmm. You know, the ticker tape parade of news, it's all of the tragedy. It's all of the bloodshed. It's all of the tears. And I think it's because we're constantly trying to solve it as a problem. We're yeah. trying to find ways to cope with it and to solve it. And again, I think that's the way to solve it is just to do what you can to alleviate whatever needless suffering exists. Right. No, it, um, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, before I, before I became a teacher, I wanted to be, um, 
a therapist, but a spe- specifically to people who, who have OCD, um, obsessive compulsive disorder. So, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't go through with it, but I did, did a lot of like training and, and, you know, studying on it. And, um, the one thing that just like is, has always stuck with me and it makes, it makes so much sense. Um, and this can apply to like life and art and creating and, and everything. And it's just made my life so much more manageable and like, uh, um enjoyable is that the whole the whole pro idea and you're probably familiar you, and you probably have heard this before but it's like uncertain like we all want certainty or we, we we're all kind of drawn mm-hmm. towards certainty that's what we want and uh with someone who has you know if they're for, for example kind of the the most notable one that people know is like washing hands so what is the person doing who's washing their hands they're trying to get certainty that they don't have, you know, germs on their hands. So they constantly keep doing it. And the, the problem is you can never get a hundred percent certain on anything. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you have the compulsion to do the thing, you never, you're trying to get that certainty, but you just, you never quite get there. You can never get there. And if you think you get there it lasts for, you know, it's very fleeting and it's gone. So um, it's just kind of accepting which is a very difficult thing to do the, the, you know, uncertainty, but it is when, when you can kind of like grasp the concept with, with certain things that maybe are challenging in life. Um, you know, and it's not like, it's not like giving up and not caring about something. It's just accepting that we can never quite get hundred percent anywhere, which is just a cool concept that I, that I still love to talk about and love to, I have to constantly remind myself of it. Um, but yeah. No, I I think that's so important, right? And I feel like given some of my own mental health struggles, I can relate to the thought processes associated with OCD because it really is perfectionism gone haywire in lots of respects. You know, like you said, it's seeking certainty. It's seeking 100%. I know for sure that this is okay. Mm -hmm. And of course, I think that is in the largest sense, denial, you know, really trying to turn away from the invariable vulnerability of the human existence that we honestly don't know. And, and, and in a way, every second is a leap into uncertainty. We have no idea what could come crashing through. And instead of being preoccupied with that or trying again to solve that problem, because it is a problem, especially for our ego that needs to be in control of everything. It is just a matter of letting go. Exactly. It's not a matter of giving up. It's a matter of surrendering, which actually is is very similar to a line of a story I just completed, you know, where I think so many people will opt for ignorance over truth because they can feel comfort in that space of ignorance or denial. They can feel it's a false sense of certainty, but they can tell themselves that they're certain and they can really rest in that. They can create tons of complexes to support that. I mean, confirmation bias controls our lives. And now because of algorithms, we're also getting like programmed Mm -hmm. confirmation bias, which is very strange. I I think that's almost one of the first times ever that that's actually happened to us individually, (laughs) personalized, personalized confirmation bias. Wow. (laughs) Oh, it's so true. That's so true. Um, Well, I could like, yeah, I could talk forever with you. I think we have like, we have like similar, like, obviously interest and just like this has a very been a very fascinating conversation um is there anything you want to say as we kind of we kind of close 
up shop tonight just about the about the book about the um the kickstarter project that was you know fulfilled but still going on um anything you want to um mention to the audience before we before we end i mean to me substance always trumps style and and in a way art itself is just a style of connecting to bigger greater truths you know so even if we aren't strictly discussing the book or the movie or any other beautiful medium of expression you and i are making art right now and i'm fully satisfied by that you know what i mean i'm so grateful that you are opening this space up to people and I definitely look forward to continuing our conversation in whatever form, mm-hmm. you know, our physical and temporal reality yields. <laughs> no, I love it. And I, w- I, w- I would totally love to have you on the show again. So anytime, you know, you, you know, whether you're, you know, promoting something or not, you're, you're, you're totally welcome to come on and, and we can just chat like this for <laughs> an hour because it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed this one. This was great. Um, so yeah, I guess um well my I just I do want to show you Cosmo, the one I've been talking about because he keeps like trying Aww. to get on. He's... <laughs> oh hey so sweetie. Oh yeah. my gosh. So he's kind of the the mascot of Salt Lake Dirt. Oh. Um he's on So all your this listeners stuff. are familiar. I don't have to like describe right. his cuteness yeah, for the audience. Yeah, so they should know him and he's all over oh. my Instagram, but his <laughs> This is a little anxiety guy. Oh, um, you know, I I have an anxiety kitty who I rescued and yeah. she's doing she, literally the way her and I used to socialize was I would just throw, a, you know, a paper bird at her and she would destroy it. And that was how we <laughs> connected. And and now she's a total snuggle muffin. And oh, again, I great. think that it's all about maybe we shouldn't do this as much with people, but I think with animals, it's totally okay to just fall in love with their potential mm-hmm. and give them that space where it's like, yes. it's okay to be scared. Cause I'm yeah. going to take care of you. You know, I love that you're doing that with your yeah. peppers. No, I lo- no, thank you. And I, that, I love that with me, <laughs> like with, with animals. Yes. Always. I think. And then humans, sometimes <laughs> we got to be a little more cautious, but, yes. um, but yeah, yeah. Like I said, thank you so much for um, talking with me. It was so nice you know, having this conversation and uh, this was very enjoyable and it, it kind of got charged up. It was like, like I said, I was tired. Like you said, eight o'clock kind of like winded down. I'm still a little tired, but I got a little spark of, mm-hmm. um, you know, just excitement about writing, about um, different people's perspectives and just like what is to come and connecting with more people. So thank you for, for all of that. Um, that was, that was great. Yeah, thank you too. And we both have new titles to put on our read list. So please do give me the name of that author. Yes, I will send, I'll, I'll send you over some stuff tonight. So um, Great. yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And let's stay in contact. And like I said, if you want to come on again, anytime um, I had a blast chatting with you, see. Yeah, mutual. Thank you so, so much. This was great. And thanks to everyone who tuned in for our virtual coffee. Yeah, it was a blast. Okay, thank you. Okay, have a good night. Take care. Bye.